Good morning again. I'm glad that you are with us. Ephesians is going to be our uh, text this morning, not all of Ephesians, but uh, we are going to sort of make a sweeping uh, stab at uh, the first three chapters. I've been very excited to bring us uh, this message this morning. All week I've been uh, working and thinking about this and what I wanted to say. I want us to think about the church uh, this morning. We, we do have a number of our, our body away this morning. I know um, Whitlord has uh, several with him at uh, Winterfest and I uh, hope and trust that they have had a very enriching time. That was always a, uh, a wonderful, wonderful occasion. A good friend of mine was uh, leading the singing there this weekend when we lived in uh, Oklahoma and Texas. We went to Winterfest in Arlington, Texas, uh, not over in uh, Gatlinburg. So I know that they've had a good time there and we miss uh, their presence this morning. Others that are out uh, sick, so we are uh, maybe fewer in number this morning, but it certainly doesn't make our lesson any less uh, important that I want to share. I want us to think about the church this morning. What is the church? What is its purpose? Whenever we see that word in Scripture, we always see the same thing. It's not, it's not talking about a building. It's not referring to an event or a gathering on Sunday morning. It's not referring to a hierarchy or uh, a structure of leadership or committees or pastors or ministers, shepherds. It's always referring to a community, to a people. So for starters this morning, I want us to take a journey through the book of Ephesians. Now, there's, there's no doubt that of all the books of the Bible, the book of Acts shows us what the church is better than any other book, possibly. But the book of Ephesians does the best job of actually telling us what the church is. So I want to look specifically at one idea in Ephesians chapter 3. In Ephesians chapter 1, 2, and 3, Paul keeps introducing this idea of the mystery of God. He keeps talking about the mystery of God. This mystery that God has had a secret plan for all of history and that has been kept hidden. No one has really understood this mystery or has seen this mystery, but now, now, it is revealed in Jesus Christ. In the book of Ephesians, Paul begins to sort of unpack this mystery for us. There are at least uh, two parts to this mystery. The first part is that God has chosen in Christ, through his death and resurrection, to reconcile us to himself. Paul sort of unpacks this in the first part of Ephesians chapter 2 where, where he explains that we were, we were enemies of God. But now, because of what Jesus has done, we have been reconciled to him. 
He says, we have been saved by grace through faith. And this is not of ourselves, it's the gift of God. Not by works, so that none of us can boast. We have nothing to boast before God. That's Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. So because of all of that, we can be united with God. That's, that's the first part of God's mystery. This unbelievable plan that God has revealed in Jesus Christ. Now, the, the second part of the mystery is, is in the latter half of chapter 2 where, where Paul explains that through the cross, God has done something else which no one would have thought possible. God has made a new humanity. That's what John read to us. He specifically refers to the fact that that through the cross, God has torn down the wall of hostility that existed between the Jews, those were God's chosen people, and the Gentiles, those whom the Jews literally referred to as dogs. God has torn down the animosity between these two people groups, and he's made them into one new man, reconciling both of them, not just to God, but to each other. So the two parts of the mystery are that we have been individually, individually we've been reconciled to God, and that through the cross, God has overcome all the divisions in our world, and has created a new community, a new humanity that together is reconciled to God. The title of our sermon this morning is God's Wisdom on Display, the wisdom of God on display. And then we get to chapter 3, where Paul says some, some pretty wild things. Look at me with, uh, look at me, uh, look with me at chapter three. Look at me. <laughs> Stumbling over my words. Chapter three, Ephesians, beginning in verse eight. The apostle Paul says this. Although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. Now look at verse 10. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul is saying that God has had this, this hidden plan for all eternity, but that now, now he has 
revealed this plan, the mystery that's now uncovered in Christ, which is that God wants to reconcile to himself through the death and resurrection of Christ, and he wants to create for himself a new people, a new humanity, a people that would transcend all the divisions, all the evils of this world. And that new community he calls the church. He calls it the church. And God has taken this this new community, this church, and he's put it on display. He's he's shined a spotlight on it. For for whom has God put this, this community on display? What does the text say? His intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God, the multifaceted wisdom of God would be put on display to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly realms. Does that blow your mind? God has has created this new community. He's torn down the dividing wall of hostility that has existed between different people groups. Namely, here in the first century, between Jew and Gentile, he's made them into one new person, one new man. Not Jew, not Gentile, but but Christian. And he's called this new community uh, a fellowship, a church, and he shines a light and puts the church on display for all the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly realms. you got to understand something about how the Apostle Paul sees, sees the world, sees our universe. In, in his mind, in the way that he sees things, there are, there are unseen forces in the world. The spirit world, that's what, that which we, we think of as so ethereal, so mysterious, but is realer, uh, more real, realer than, than what we can see and touch today. He calls them the rulers the powers, uh, the authorities. He uses this language over and over in all of his letters. Uh, these are the forces that are, are aligned against God and, and God's purposes. The forces which are, are behind all that is broken and wrong with our world. Hatred, racism, division, Anger, strife, war, disease, even death itself are all being worked by these powers and these authorities in the heavenly realm. And Paul is saying that God has chosen to reveal his countercultural wisdom through the church. And he puts a spotlight on the church. And he calls out to the heavenly powers as if he's saying, this is where you will see my wisdom, and my wisdom has defeated your wisdom. We are the manifold wisdom of God on display for those powers and those authorities. Though they rule now, I mean, I mean just look around 
I mean, everywhere you turn, it seems like, like Satan and his forces are winning. Am I right? I mean, if you just look, you just read, you just watch, it seems that everywhere we turn, the family, the church, everything that we know that's good and right and wholesome is being torn down. Evil is called good, good is called evil. Everywhere we turn, it seems like these rulers and the authorities in the heavenly realms are winning. But God says, though you rule now, your reign will come to an end. And the end for them is, is sure and it's definite because of the cross of Christ and because of the resurrection of Jesus. And that wisdom is revealed in the church. Let, let me put it another way. Think about, think about the Old Testament book of Job. Think about this great man that we know as, as Job. At the very beginning of the book of Job, God is, is convening the angelic host, the angels all around him. He's, he's like having a, bid, a business meeting, if you will, in heaven. And God is there, and all of the hosts gathered together. And you know who comes in the midst of that meeting? Satan, the accuser of the brethren. And God asks Satan, where have you come from? Are you, are you familiar with this? The book of Job? God says, where have you come from? See, we've got to, we've got to rethink some things. We, we, we say things off the cuff, and we've heard things all of our life. We say that God can't be around Satan. He can't be around evil. That's why God had to forsake his son on the cross. We sang about it. God turned his face away. Jesus himself said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What he's doing, is he's quoting Psalm 22 where David says at the beginning, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And at the end of that psalm, guess what? God didn't forsake him. He never forsook him. He never left him. We just throw things around sometimes. We've got to read our Bible. We need to understand things more plainly. God is right here in the presence of all of his angels, and Satan comes in the midst of that, and God talks to him, and he says, where have you come from? And he says, I've been going all throughout the earth, been wandering the earth. Why do you think he was wandering the earth? The apostle Peter says, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. That's why he's roaming the earth. He's going back and forth all over the earth looking for someone to devour. And what does God say? What does God say to, to Satan? Have you considered my servant Job? <laughs> what? Are you kidding me? God, it's as if God shines a spotlight on Job. Satan's been roaming all over the place looking for someone to devour, and God says, well, have you thought about Job? Why did he say that? Because Job, in the midst of an evil world, epitomized what it meant to be a righteous man, a man who loved God and who followed God. And God says, have you considered my servant Job? Well, th thanks a lot, God. 
If you're Job, thanks a lot. Job represented God's wisdom. God actually draws the attention of the evil powers in the universe to Job as an example of his goodness and his righteousness. And that's essentially what Paul says here in Ephesians chapter 3. The powers and the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly realms look at this world and they say, What a mess! What a mess everything is. We've done a good job. And God says, essentially, yes, but have you considered my church? Have you looked at my church? Because there you will see a wisdom that is not of this world. You'll see a wisdom that says that people are made alive and reconciled through the death of the Messiah on a cross. There in the church, you will see a wisdom that says all the divisions in this world, all the hatred, all the animosity that exists between different peoples, between different uh, skin types, between uh, different socioeconomic people, you're going to see them overcome all of this, and they are going to be a new humanity, one new people. That kind of wisdom is not of the world. You only find that in the church, in people who have been reconciled to Jesus Christ through the cross. That's the reason that I want to talk about this idea in Ephesians 3 because I think it's so often overlooked and we, we, we view the church merely from a human perspective. What Paul does, what Paul does is he raises us, he raises us up to, to sort of have a different look, a different viewpoint, as if we're like hovering over and we can see the church from a different mindset. Maybe something that we've never seen before. For example, what, why, do, why do we gather here? Why do we gather here this morning? Why, why have Christians for 2,000 years gathered on the first day of the week? Most, most of us would probably answer that question from a very human point of view. When, when you woke up this morning and, and it was maybe still dark and it was a little chilly and the covers felt really nice and warm. Maybe you thought to yourself, why, why am I going to church this morning? Wouldn't, wouldn't I just rather stay in bed? It's nice and toasty and warm. Wake up a little bit later and have a late breakfast. Linger over a second cup of coffee. Wouldn't that be nice? So, why, why do we gather? Why do we do it? From a human point of view, you might say, well, we gather uh, to learn. We, we gather together to hear God's word. We gather so that we can grow in our faith. Or maybe we gather here to, to encourage one another, to, to help each other, to, to support one another. Or maybe in a, in a very clear moment, a sober moment, we say we, we gather here 
to join our voices in praise to God the Father, to honor him. <laughs> and all of, those, all of those things would be true. All of those things are good. All of those things are right. But when you view the church from this higher point of view in Ephesians 3, something completely different comes to light. The reason we gather on Sunday mornings is because when we gather together across socioeconomic barriers, across racial barriers, across age barriers, when we gather as one community in Christ at the foot of the cross, when we proclaim his good news, when we make confession with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father, when we extend forgiveness to one another, when we gather around the table as we just have and we, we pass the bread and we, we pass the cup to our brothers and sisters, what we are declaring is the manifold wisdom of God to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly realms. That's why we've gathered here this morning. When Paul says, when you gather at the table, you declare the death of our Lord until he comes again. Paul says that. When we gathered around the table this morning, we're declaring the death of our Lord Jesus Christ until he comes again. To whom are we declaring that? To each other? We already know that. That's why we gathered here this morning. We already know that. To whom are we declaring it? to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly realms. It's as if God has taken a bright spotlight and he shines it down on the church. And he says, this is where you'll see my wisdom. You won't see it in the world. People hate each other. And... and in our world and our, our politicians and social media, we just keep stoking the flames of division, of hatred, of, dis, of discord, of jealousy, animosity, angst. We, we, we keep stirring up all this division. And God says, you're not going to find that kind of peace, that kind of love in the world. You're only going to find it in the church because that's where my wisdom will be on display. That's where people will love each other despite each other. <laughs> That's how we have to love one another. Did you know that? We have to love each other in spite of each other. That's why my wife has to love me in spite of me. I'm not perfect. I know that's a shock to you. <laughs> but my wife has to love me in spite of me. God loves us in spite of us. And so because we've been reconciled to God through the cross, through the resurrection of Jesus, God has reconciled us to him, and now we love each other. We don't view each other uh, in the flesh. We don't see each other that way. We judge no man according to the flesh. But because we're in Christ, there's love. We, 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 we love one another. We're pulling for each other. We're for each other. 
We love each other deeply and sincerely from the heart. That's what God shines the spotlight on us and says, that's where you'll see my wisdom. So listen to me, church. What we do here on Sunday mornings is so very important because we didn't just come just to encourage each other, just to love each other, just to spur each other on to love and good works. We have been put on display to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly realms, the spiritual world. We have been put on display for, for all of those powers to look at and to see. So what we do here on Sundays is so important. But listen to me. It's not just what we do here. It's when we go home how we live the rest of the week. Because you think about it. We didn't, just, we didn't come to church this morning. I mean, we, we say that. Uh, we, we throw that around. We didn't come to church this morning. The church came to this place this morning. Because we are the church. And we're the church all week long, not just Sunday morning. So what we do now at 10.30, 11, 11.30, maybe even 12, 12.30 this morning, I don't know. What we do now is so important, but what we do all week long is, is maybe even more important because every day, day in, day out, 24-7, 365, we are the church and how we love and how we treat. You see, when, when, when someone does something to me and I say, I forgive you, I love you, that speaks volumes to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly realms. They, it, it, it confounds them. Why would a God love a people like that? And why would these sinful people forego the pleasures of sin for a season so that they could follow God and trust in him looking forward to an unshakable kingdom that will never end? Why would they do that? It, it confounds the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly realms because it makes no earthly sense. It's only a love that comes to those who have been redeemed, who now love each other deeply from the heart, regardless of what you look like, how much money you got, what kind of house you live in, the color of your skin. None of that matters to us. And that speaks volumes of how wise God is, how perfect his plan was, when people that would normally look at one another and hate one another now embrace each other and love one another. That speaks to how wise God's plan was. That's why we gather. We do all the other stuff. It's important. It really is. But that's why we gather. That's why the church exists. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God would be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly realms. That's why we start here. We need to know this. We see the manifold wisdom of God on display in his church. And to understand that story, we've got to have a bigger vision of what we're involved in here today. This is not just a, a community group that gets together 
a couple of hours a week. <laughs> this, you, are the people in which the wisdom of God is revealed every day. Every day. That's why we gather here. Every time we gather, there's a spotlight on us. And we are declaring the manifold wisdom of God to the unseen forces in our universe. Does that blow your mind? Do you ever stop and think that? When you got up this morning and you were on your way to church, that God was shining a spotlight on what happens here, on your life, so that all those powers, we're talking the evil forces, the evil forces in our world, all of those forces could see you and see how you love and how you treat one another, the kindness in which you show. Every time you show kindness, every time you show compassion, every time you share your faith, every time you say a prayer, you're praying for someone on your relational map, someone that's close to you but far from God. Every time you pray that, every time you speak a good word for Jesus, every time you give a cup of cool water in the name of Jesus, it shines a spotlight and it says to those rulers and those authorities in the heavenly realm that Jesus Christ is Lord and you are not. And that your fate is sealed, your fate is sure, it is certain because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Man, I wish I had a church to preach to this morning. One of these days, whoo! One of these days, y'all are going to get with me. We're all going to go together, and we're going to keep laboring here until you do. God, God's doing something in his church. God is doing some powerful things in this church, in your hearts, and in your lives. And that is shining a light. He's shining a light on you so that those rulers in the spiritual realm, those authorities, are looking at you and they're saying how wise God is and how bad we missed it, how bad we blew it. And our fate is sealed. And it's all because of the death, the, the, death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. It changes everything. It's changed my life. I know it's changed your life. And we want to ask God for it to continue to change our lives, to be the people he wants us to be, to, to go out and to speak a good word for Jesus, to be embarrassed, to be foolish, to act like fools for Jesus. He is no fool. He is no fool. The man that would give up that which he cannot keep to obtain that which he cannot lose. Eternal life in Jesus Christ.